Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks. This episode, we've got writer and comedian Joe Caulfield, who is brilliant. But don't just take my word for it. Have a listen yourself once I've finished this bit. The reason I've popped up here is just to ask that if you enjoy this podcast, to please subscribe and give us a little rating where you get your podcasts because we're massively insecure and it makes us feel wanted. Plus, it means you'll never miss an episode, so it's good. And now, on with the show. Here's Desert Island Dicks with Joe Caulfield. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian and writer Joe Caulfield. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm enjoying lockdown because I feel it, it, (laughs) it's sort of, in a way, slightly my ideal way of living. You know, I have minimum contact, but I'm sociable enough Mm. and I can get drunk on Zoom and then just go upstairs to bed. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm I'm handling it better than a lot of people. I mean, not as a brag, it just makes me realise I'm maybe more antisocial than I (laughs) realise. I was quite surprised how I'm like, I'm fine. You know, a lot of people are like, how are you coping? And I have to play down the fact that I'm really enjoying it. I'm also enjoying that I'm not travelling. Because living in Scotland, I travel every week to go to London or Manchester or something. So I'm really enjoying that I'm at home. And bizarrely, we've had freak, fantastic weather. Mm. So I've been in the garden and doing different things with your brain as well. And sort of learning how to do stuff and... So, weirdly, I'm like, I could do do another month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I could. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in a positive frame of mind. Does that mean you found it easy or hard to pick uh, your choices for the island? Well, uh, surprisingly, I found it difficult because I think my dislikes are so irrational and, and I so, like in stand-up, I don't back them up at all. I just <laughs> say I hate this person and that's sort of part of my thing is that I don't have to explain to you my, or I'll give a reason, but people know it's an unreasonable reason. Mm. So this I felt like, oh, I can't do that. I have to really think about why I wouldn't want these people or this music or whatever so at first I found it quite hard because I was like sort of stamping my feet going why should I have to justify (laughs) what I believe in or what I think about stuff okay well well let's get straight into it then who's going to be your first choice for the island my first choice is David Bowie wow okay now I am a massive David Bowie fan. Yeah, me too. Let me say that. <laughs> I love David Bowie's music. I think he was fantastic and so influential and blah, blah, blah. But I think what would be terrible about having him on an island is that thing that David Bowie did, which he would do something really, really well, and then he would just go, right, I'm leaving that. I'm now going to reinvent myself and do something completely different. And I think to have that sort of person on an island would just be infuriating. (laughs) Like, you know, we might have built something, taken us ages, and we finally got a good shelter. You know, maybe I was thinking of a lean-to, but it's against a cliff, so we've got a solid side, so we're all quite happy with it. And then David Bowie would just, on a whim, one day would be... I don't know, I think... I've been looking at rabbits, and, and they live underground. Maybe we could, like... 
burrow underground. <laughs> Let's do that. And you'd be like, no, stop it, David. Stop having ideas. Yeah, yeah. And getting a bit conceptual with things now and again. Yeah, there'd be things like, you know, like maybe we, we have to collect firewood again. And he might go, you know, we're all quite happy. It's an easy thing to do to collect the firewood. But Dave would be, what about just to see how it feels we collect every other piece of wood that we see <laughs> and then we reject any piece of wood that aren't the same size as the other pieces of wood. Yeah. And what would be the reason for that, David? Just to see. Well, that's not good enough. We're just going to collect the firewood as we were before. Yeah, when I was working with Brian Eno, he had this great idea, which is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you reject the normal and you go, yeah, yeah, but David, we have to eat this fish that we've caught. We're not going to, like, put it in a tree just to see what happened. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, this is true. So when you first said David Bowie, I was terrified because like, <laughs> I love David Bowie so much and I'm pretty good at sort of being a, a kind of anti-devil's advocate on this on this mm. podcast and sort of generally weighing in with whatever people choose and I thought god I'm not going to be able to do this if it's like a, a real problem <laughs> and my other worry that it was that you were going to come out with something I didn't know about him something abhorrent oh. that he had done and I was like oh no so oh, this no. this I can totally get on board with so yeah. I'm very relieved but yeah I think I, that is a side of him I think would be tricky to to live with actually and he's not always right, is he? Like, some, like <laughs> with looks, like, to me, I'm like station to station, thin white duke, that look, fantastic. Mm. Uh, young Americans, that was a look, that was great. You know, that's the look, that, you look great in that, that's what you should wear. And then next thing, you know, you're going, oh my God, you're in like a Piero costume on Ashes to Ashes. That was not better. <laughs> You've gone backwards, you, you know, just... So, you know, it's like you don't always have to trust him. He doesn't always know best. Mm, that's very true. Yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, although, I don't know, at times he's probably been in, involved in some quite edgy scenes. I think mm. when it comes to getting rolling his sleeves up and getting stuck into some sort of nitty-gritty labour, he's not going to be great. I mean, he is very thin, or was, you know. He's not mm. going to be that physical, I don't think. No, I think he'd be quite quite weak <laughs> to mm. have around in the camp. I think he would wouldn't be averse to it. I don't think he's the sort of person who would go, "Oh, I'm an artist," like because I think he was quite down to earth person, really. Mm. And I think he would want to get involved, but you'd be just like, "No, you lie down in the shade for a little while, David, because you're looking very peaky." Yeah, and he'd need a lot of shade as well, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that kind of skin. It's too sort of milky white. It yeah, last. too white. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. and I think you sort of look after him a bit, and then and just try and stop him having ideas. Really. Yeah. Also, I think you know, as much as I love him, being one of the most famous people in the world for decades is going to skew your personality. I mean, most interviews you hear, or people who have met him, when you hear mm. people talking about him, people say that he was a very nice, down to earth guy. But that's probably. I mean, if you're with him for a long time and no one's doing stuff for him, I mean, he probably does have quite a few assistants and things like that. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't quite, you know, principled. Like there was um, somebody put it on Facebook the other day. The um, interview he did with someone on MTV, hmm. and it was, I think, it was 1987, which was really shocking how late it was. And hmm. he was asking them, and he did it so well. Basically, you don't have black artists on here, and. Um, and he did it that fantastic way, which I could never do, where he didn't lose his temper yeah. at all. He just was, like, really reasonable. But the look he gave and the look he gave to camera when the guy, you know, came up with his crackpot reason for why they don't have black artists on was, like, so telling. And just, you know, I think he was 
it was a decent person in in that way. Yeah. But then there is all that stories about how, you know, nobody ever got paid and he took all the money and mm. stuff. So I'd have to watch him, like when yeah. we're dishing out food and things. And like, <laughs> no, I can't have David going, well, I thought to get sticks. No, that's not an original idea. We all <laughs> thought to get sticks. You can't go, oh, but I was the one. And if, if I hadn't been here, you wouldn't have thought of sticks. No, we would. We would have got sticks for firewood. That's yeah. not your idea. And I think he could just get sort of caught up in doing his own creative things on one side of the island. And he simply couldn't leave that project once he'd got started in it, you know. So sort of sort of making his own music on one corner. That was interesting, you know, like David Bowie's take on his own world music. But, you know, really, you just need to build shelter and get food. Yeah. And sometimes you might go, oh, just leave him. It's really not worth the hassle of him coming to help because it won't mm. be a help so you go let him as long as he's, he's you know keep him far away but then you've, you've lost a team member you see he's not a useful member yeah yeah i think his chameleon nature on an island would only be a burden um so i think that's a very good choice and i'm also incredibly relieved that that's what <laughs> yeah that i go oh no don't not david yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay uh, who would be your second choice my second choice is um it's more kind of type of people People who talk at you, you know, those sort of people that are always on transmit and I'm always kind of slightly fascinated by them, their complete lack of self-awareness, how they, you know, you could do a car journey with them um, and they would talk about themselves the entire time and not for a moment think that you might have something to say or that you might not want to talk about them. And they're the sort of people that also, if they've read a book or they've seen a film or something, they have to tell you about it. They have to tell you absolutely everything about it. And, you know, I might go, oh, do you know what? I studied the unification of Germany. I didn't, but I might have done. <laughs> but yeah, but they would never think that. They'll just go, I've read this, so I'm going to tell you all about it. And it's really boring. Yeah, They're boring and they don't know they're boring because they think that facts are always interesting, where often facts depend on who's telling you the facts. I quite I like facts to read. Yeah. But it's and I, I know he is the nation's sweetheart, but when Stephen Fry was on QI, <laughs> it was the sort of ponderous, pompous way he would do it when he would say, And do you know because he'd always ask it, and do you know why the anteater eats its own young? And I'd be there going, Oh fucking shut up. No, I don't, <laughs> and I don't want to know. And to be fair, neither did he before the recording and the researchers had told him why as yes, well. Yeah. And I and but it was the slow way of like, oh God, this isn't like it's not com it's what people and I would imagine him doing it at a dinner party and you're like, this isn't conversation. This is just you telling me stuff that I don't want to know. And it makes me kind of want to hit my head against a wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think uh, having those sort of people as well, it's that thing of, I've just done it then because I cut you off. <laughs> of, um, uh, where I think I would like to have some sort, of, some sort of anecdote test on the island for people who are allowed to talk a lot and people who aren't. You have to be able to tell a story. And stories aren't about... Um, you know, some people think, oh, well, I did this really amazing, interesting thing, can still be dull. You know, it's like people who've travelled the world and you go, oh, fuck, you're still dull, though, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like people like 
Steve Lamack proved very well that a, a passion for a subject doesn't necessarily translate <laughs> into something interesting, you know. Yes, yes. Every time I turn him on, he's just banging on about, you know, for 20 minutes. So, oh, yeah, I remember I saw that band at uh, the Nottingham Corn Exchange way back. And like, I don't care. And I, I know you've seen every band, Steve. Put on a song. You're so dull. Why are you still here? Yeah, and we don't care where you saw them, you know. Mm. And sometimes even when something amazing will have happened at that gig and you go it's still it's a second-hand thing that's the other thing people who tell people do this actually funny particularly i think in rock music people who are really into music tell second-hand stories and i'm like but you you weren't in led zeppelin this didn't happen to you i could <laughs> yeah. have read, read i've read this in a book as well but they say it as like oh did you you know and you go but it didn't happen to you they sort of take it on as though it happened to them mm. I, I mean there's some people i've found who go a sort of a level past that where i, I know someone who manages to tell anecdotes that I was involved in, but he embellishes it to such an extent. <laughs> but you can't sort of cut him off in the middle because he'll be like, yeah, I remember that. I don't think you were there. OK, I can't say that in front of everyone. And, yes. be like, and, and you were saying this. And I was like, wow. And you think there's too many people here to tell everyone that I'm not even sure if you were there and this isn't how it went down. And you end up having to sort of go along with it as well. It's like a sort of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because we're, we're normal people and we sort of think about other people's feelings. But that's so insane, what you're saying, what your friend would do. And I've known people do that as well. And you go, it's almost sociopathic that they can do that in front of you. But they sort of, I don't think they do think about whether you can out them about it. I think they just, whether they actually think, oh, no, I was there and this is what happened. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but it is, is weird. I've had I have a friend who says things that I've said. I've had that before. Yeah, it's and you've had weird, to go. Oh, it? that's interesting, and it was interesting when I told you yes. that. <laughs> it's, but you can't say anything, can you? I'm just open mouth, going, "Oh my god, yeah, I am interested in that." Like you say, because I said it, and I was interested then. It's weird, <laughs> but you can't ever tell them that, can you? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, on an island as well, that's going to be very difficult as well. It's going to be so annoying. And you know those people who tell stories um, with too much detail? Yeah, yeah. I have a friend in all the time you want to go, I don't need to know that, come on. And this point, because they know they do it, I will actually speed them up. <laughs> and we have that sort of relationship where you can go, no, stop it, come on, move along, move <laughs> along. I don't need to know about that. Let's get to what is the story about and, and get on with it. Yeah. But can you imagine that if you've got someone and you just and they go, oh my god, they're going to tell me. A Sometimes you can, you like the dread of it is like, oh, they're coming towards me. They're going to tell me a story. Oh my god, you'd have to be. Look, can you can you go and go, <laughs> you go over there with David Bowie? He's digging a hole. Why don't you go over there and and tell David your story? But then he'll come back and be he'll be telling David Bowie's stories back to you as if it was them. You know, go. Oh, oh god, I remember. Yeah. This reminds me of uh, when me and uh, Lou Reed and. <laughs> We're just hanging out in Berlin. We had all this smack, and uh, yeah, you know, you know, that yeah. was that was David Bowie. Um, so not you. Yeah. There's a part of me wondering that if my friends hear hear this episode, they'll be texting me to say "pot calling the kettle black" because I think this. I do think there's a part of me that does this as well, but I also recognise it's an abhorrent trait. So uh, yeah. yeah. So let's let's put this person on the island this time because these people do it sober. I think, I mean, I'm a terrible one for if I have a drink that I will, and my husband will say, you just talk over everybody. But I have a group of girlfriends and we all do it. Mm. So we don't think it's rude. We're like, no, we're really excited. We all want to talk at the same time. And we accept that. But people who do it just all the time, stone cold sober, 
without thinking that somebody else might want to speak or without even sometimes they even say oh am I boring you with that <laughs> with this and they'll tell you something you go oh are you bored by this and you can't sometimes you might go yes but most of the time you go well I can't really say yes I am but look at my face look at my face I'm so bored yeah. So they sort of know they're boring you, but they can't stop themselves. It's like the Van Morrison song, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You? It's like, well, if you have to ask, probably not. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you're the most sensitive man. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. So this is shaping up to be a good island already. And who will be your third uh, guest joining them? Well, uh, my third guest is Nadine Doris, mm. MP. Um, but she would be joined by a whole pack of them, I think. Um, I just picked her because I, I sort of find her the most um, pointless as an MP in that I think she doesn't even really try yeah. to make out that she's remotely interested in helping people or in looking after her constituents. She's so clearly out for what she can get. And, uh, you know, a drop of a hat, she's off to do a reality series and get some more publicity for herself. But I would say Esther McVeigh is another one mm. that is just sort of evil and, and cold. And Pretty Patel, Grant Shapps, I can't stand him. And that one who's come out recently, Robert Jenrick, you go, that seems very immoral, the housing minister. I think we've got a whole terrible crop of them. And then, but even worse than them, I think, are the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and David Cameron, mm. because they seem to be above politics completely, just living their lives. And for David Cameron, because I think because everything had gone his way all his life, so he couldn't have imagined that he would have lost that Brexit vote. Mm. So he never thought about it because everything always worked for him. And then to lose it and then just leave. Yeah. And not kill yourself, just carry on living your fabulous life. It's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, there was that, that wasn't it? He had his microphone left on after he sort of resigned and he just sort of walked off humming, going, oh, well, that was a shame. Da, 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 da. I'll build a nice shed and write a book for a couple of years. Yeah, the, on the microphone, it actually caught him saying, why should I clear up the mess? Yeah. He said, well, you made it. Yeah. You're the bull in the china shop. Yeah, and I, I think... And I, anytime I've met MPs as well, and I've met quite a few Labour ones, and sadly I don't find them much better, they're such egomaniacs. And also they're always surrounded by, you know, uh, starry-eyed sort of interns and researchers who absolutely worship them. Mm. And they love that world of politics. It's quite a small world and it's very like a school and they kind of all run around and get things for them and they start to, very quickly, I think they change and start to believe they're some sort of God and lose touch with reality and think, and think they're something special rather than they work for us. I don't think yeah. any of them think they work for us. No. I think it's interesting. So the sort of the Camerons and the Reese Moggs and the Boris Johnsons of the mm. world... I sort of like part of me, and this isn't letting them off the hook because I can't stand them, but part of me is thinking they're so ingrained in this I'm going to be in charge of everything sort of thing. It's almost less of their fault than the sort of the new breed who sort of sign up to it wanting to be like that. Like if you're David, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like not saying that's any better for not understanding how the real world is or anything, but if you've sort of experienced the real world and still end up like that, it's like. I mean, that's really weird, isn't it? I mean, at least you could sort of say they've been so isolated from it. Yeah, I think there are... Yeah, I think there are... T yeah, there are two types. I think the estimate base and the, the Dean Doris, they're the ones who want to be in the Cameron world, don't they? They didn't grow up like that. Yeah, it's like 
being an evil genius to be as an aspirational kind of occupation. Yes, or you know, and they're quite happy to be the pawn of the evil genius. They will do whatever, ever dirty work. Pretty Patel's like that. She'll do go out and say anything. She doesn't care because she's in the mm. kingdom, isn't she? She's up there with the big boys. So I think it's that, yeah, and the David Camerons, it's a bit like, I once did a gig at a public school, Uppingham Public School, weirdly, where Stephen Fry went, mm. and uh, they have a theatre and everything, and the people, sh- and it was a gig open to the public, but the people looking after us and showing us around were the sixth formers, and they were quite intimidating because um, they were so ready to rule the world. Mm. They were incredibly confident young people, most of whom's parents lived abroad and things, so you were like, oh, you're also damaged because you've been at boarding school. But, you know, so they've sort of emotionally, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. But they were completely like, you know, and I'll do this, go to university and then uh, be marvellously successful and it'll all go well. Yeah. 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 I, there was uh, years ago, there was a documentary on uh, the House of, House of Commons. And David Cameron was in it and he was showing people around. And at one point he was saying, oh, you know, it's lovely in this room. It's like a sort of wonderful old library or something. And and I sort of thought, well, if you've if you're used to being in libraries that look like the grandest room I have ever seen, <laughs> uh, you've already <laughs> yeah. got such an advice because you just feel at home because this is just like your school was. So it already feels normal, whereas other people are going to be on the back foot just from being in a building like that. Whereas to you, it's just everywhere you've ever been has looked the same. You're completely at home. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, House of Commons does look exactly like their public schools. And like you say, like most libraries now, the main thing you notice is, oh, there's hardly any books. <laughs> you know, they're mostly about sort of community services and, you know, helping people. And, mm. you know, they're not remotely like what he thinks yeah. a library is like. And there's also something so... I went to... I got a, um, to 10, 10 Downing Street uh, when Gordon Brown was Prime Minister. They were doing a literacy campaign and it was a terrible idea and they wanted comics in this little film and we all had to read a, uh, uh, something from a book. And I remember being absolutely outraged because they wanted me to dress up because you had to dress up like the cover of the book and they wanted me to read from the book Emmanuel. <laughs> and it's that cover where it's that um, very 70s wicker chair mm. And I think she's in a corset or something. So I said, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely not wearing that. And also, why would I choose to read Emmanuel? Of all the books there are, why would I choose that? And then I think to be spiteful, they went, will you, will you read Jane Austen? I went, yeah, I'm happy to read Jane Austen. So then, I, <laughs> then they got me this horrible, like, high-necked, frilly blouse. And all my <laughs> hair was pulled back. And I thought, well, obviously, that'll make her happy. You know, she looks awful. And uh, reading from... Jane Austen. So anyway, so then we would go to there and um, what surprised me was how low-tech it was. Because mm. So Gordon Brown comes in and I thought they would show the film or something, but it was just in a room that was a bit like the sort of tea room in a slightly shitty county hotel mm. <laughs> um, with a bad carpet and we all stood there and there was wine and then he came in and then what was odd was that then it felt like a court, like a royal court from, you know, centuries ago, where he walks down and there's someone next to him saying who you are. But what is so ludicrous is that I'm right in front of Gordon Brown and the person who's telling him, I can hear her talking, 
So why don't you just introduce me? I know he doesn't know who I am. So just go, <laughs> oh, Mr. Brown, this is Joe Caulfield. She's a comedian. Don't whisper in his ear. <laughs> this is what she did. She went, this is Joe Caulfield. She's a comedian. And then he goes, oh, hello. He's half deaf and blind, so he doesn't hear your name anyway. And just goes, <laughs> oh, hello. But I thought, why are you pretending that yeah. I can't hear you telling him? That's so, so like an MP thing that it's completely fake. Just go, oh, yeah. you won't know who she is. Uh, I'll tell you. It's such a bizarre, baffling world, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you just watch the Prime Minister's Question Times. I mean, that's probably the best thing about the pandemic is that it's quietened down Prime Minister's Questions a little bit. Yes. You know, there's none of the sort of booing and jeering and all of that sort of horrible thing, um, which I just think is... Every time I watch that, I just feel embarrassed to be British. You know, like you should kind of think, oh, look at, look at our history and this marvellous old building, but it just makes me want to... I don't know, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, just full of these idiots going, whoa, 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 you know, about things that are serious. I think that's why I think, yeah, it's fun for you. You all think it's fun, but for us, it's our lives and it and it's serious. Mm. So I, and even, like, <laughs> I'm really still angry at Ed Miliband for uh, not, it's the, it's the hubris, isn't it, of not realising, no self-awareness of not realising you're not a leader. Mm. You, if you were smart, you would have known that. Yeah. But he didn't. He couldn't resist. They can't resist it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a crossover point where the sort of hype gets involved and it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. Yeah. At some point, you just have this sort of stubbornness and you kind of just aim for the prize over everything. And and I suppose maybe it's just because everyone around you is pushing you so hard to get to that prize. You just kind of go, God, yeah, it's like I'm on the X Factor. I've got to do this. This is the goal, yeah. you know, and you forget about what, what is actually happening. Yeah. I think, yeah, that probably is exactly like the X Factor. Somebody told me about someone who'd gone, you know, all those terrible people that go on the X Factor and you think, how did you go on? And they said... Before the terrible ones go in front of Simon Cowell, they, uh, they're seen by so many researchers who keep telling them they're good. Yeah. So they believe they're good. And I think that's probably what happened with Ed Miliband and everybody as well. There's all those people going, oh, no, you, you're great. You can do it. You know, just don't eat a baiting sandwich and you'll be fine. You know? <laughs> so, and, it's a, and I know that's sort of stupid, but I can't. And even, I suppose I can't think of any of that. Like, the only one who was like, and I was going, I can't believe that Ken Clark is my new hero because he seemed like the only grown-up yeah. during Brexit. Everyone else, you're like, you're just making this up and saying whatever people have told you to say. And then, um, oh, yeah, and then even um, <laughs> uh, what, uh, Corbyn, mm. because when then he seemed to, or I was like, oh, my God, he just seems to say whatever he thinks will stop people voting for him. It seemed to be like he was going, uh, what's your plan for this? Well, I've got a really long, detailed plan that will involve loads and loads of taxation. You know, it's just, don't stop saying that. And you give too much detail. And you go, oh, now they're not going to vote for you. It's like every time I thought, right, well, this time it can't get any worse. Oh, they've yeah. put this person up. OK, well, definitely you've got to be yeah. this time. <laughs> No, right, and you've you've failed against that. Okay, well, this person surely you're going to be this person. I mean, come on. No, right, they've actually you've you've just got the biggest loss in history. Oh God, yeah, it's depressing. I mean, uh, yeah, I've just sort of switched off from it from a bit, and it's one of those things where you know I like to stay politically engaged and aware of what's happening, but God, they make it so hard for you. And I think maybe that's the thing. It's that sort of Russia tactic of just. I, I read somewhere something that. I think about quite a lot and it was saying that sort of with propaganda and disinformation things it's not always 
to make you think one thing or the other. It's to just bludgeon you with so much that eventually you stop caring and you stop interacting. And that's the real victory, you know, rather than kind of spreading disinformation. It's more powerful to just spread apathy. And I think they're kind of winning the battle with me slowly because after a while yes. I just think... Well, actually, I'm going home in a really bad mood because of everything I've read today. And actually, my life and my little bubble and, you know, my wife and my son and my family is actually fine. And this hasn't affected it today. So I'll just let it go. And, you know, but that's that's the dangerous thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think that I think that's really true. And I think in the pandemic, that's been more and more so because those briefings were you know, they would contradict each other every other day. Yeah. So I completely stopped watching them because it was just like, you don't know what you're, you're just making shit up, aren't you? Yeah. With all that PPE that's on the plane, that was so ridiculous. Oh, we sent the plane to Greece and it's on the plane, it's coming back. Yes, we've got it, we've got the best, it's here. Oh, it's all wrong and it's shit. Mm. And then and then the <laughs> next day it's another another story of everything going wrong. And I've, yeah, so I've disengaged, yeah. So they won, you're right. But I think in the past we had sort of, there was still some sense that there was a sense of fair play somewhere. Like, people would be really dirty and dishonest, but at some point, when you were caught with your trousers down, you had to kind of go, yeah, I did, fair play, I'll go, or whatever. Whereas now, they just go, yeah, no, I should, and what? You know, and you kind of go, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I guess our system relies on you being a decent person. You know, it's like, you lied to the Queen. Are you going to step down? Nah. And you go, nah. well, we've got nothing else after that, because everything in our society dictates that you should just do the right thing and when you don't we go oh well we're just going to let you do that then because there's not there's not a follow-through no and that's where trump's and putin's win don't they because they they don't have any moral conscience and they don't care Mm. you know they're like oh you're sending me a letter so what you know and then waddle off with their trousers down they don't care well just wait till they hear this podcast that'll put them right I think that's also the thing, how, you know, you feel, oh, it's so pointless. And some people get really, really political. And I'm like, yeah, but it's pointless. And they go, you must never say that. And I go, well, they've, they've made me say that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've been a lot happier since I did start saying that. Though. Since you disengaged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the trouble. Um, right. So how are we going to narrow this out? Are we going to put in all politicians or like 95% of politicians? Or should we go with think, Nadine Dorries you know, as the figurehead? Uh, Nadine is the, uh, but she's she's not the worst because she's she's an evil pawn, isn't mm. she? Whereas Rhys Mogg is, you know, he's the and Boris and Johnson, mm. they're the establishment. So we'll have one from each. We'll have what, the, some of the pawns and and then some okay. of the gentry. Okay. Well, we could put the British political system in, and that sort of. I mean, that's quite a lot on this island, but I mean, you know. We've, I've had so much fun slagging them off at the end of a day, you know, <laughs> we might as well let them all on. Yeah, God, I'm just thinking of them all being there. Yeah. Well, that would be quite cool, because they would all fight amongst themselves to be the ruler. Yeah, that's Wouldn't they? True. So that would sort of... Um, yeah, I might be able to sort of manipulate them. Yeah, I mean, good. through a sort of Machiavellian game of uh, de- some kind of death match, you'd probably get rid of yeah. a few of them, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Well, there's there's the people. Now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Mine is uh, oysters, mussels, anything that has that sort of eyeball-y texture, snails, 
And also, I know I don't like it, so it's fine, so I can avoid it. But it's sort of people's insistence in a quite food snobby way, I think, mm. that you should try it. I had that in Spain with people going, oh, but why didn't you try the snails? Because they look disgusting. They look exactly like the thing in my garden. And I know I would gag immediately. But they're somehow intellectually superior to me because they will eat any old shit that they see. Yeah, well, I think most of those things would have started as, like, peasant food, really. Because, I mean, if, you're, if you've got loads of land and cows and sheep that you can afford to kill, then why are you going to go crawling under rocks looking for these, these weird yeah. things? You know, so it's weird that there's this sort of snobbery about them now, isn't there? I think so. And, it's, and a lot of it is that new food, which is exactly that. And, you know, and it's tripe and it's awful. And I'd said that to people and go, this is what people used to eat when they couldn't afford to get a good cut of meat. Mm. And now they're charging you a fortune in St. John's Bread and Wine, which is where I had the most unpleasant <laughs> evening <laughs> with, with foodies who loved it. And I, I was just like, I just want a dinner. I don't yeah. want this endless, you know, tiny plates of stuff that I hate. I'd really like a plate of food mm. and a dinner. Yeah. So, um, and it might be on the island. I don't know if I would have to eat those things. It depends. But I'm sure, I'm sure there'd be other food. But, oh, it would make me ugh, to think about yeah. it. I think with things like, I mean, some of those things, you know, because they are just people looking originally just looking for sustenance and then they figured out mm. a way of disguising the flavor well enough that they became quite tasty like you know i like most things you know and i like mussels and i've eaten snails and found it fine but you know they're usually dressed up in quite a nice sauce so yeah. it's kind of okay whereas an oyster there's nowhere to hide you know it's it's just naked and maybe you put on some tabasco or something and I really want to like oysters because they seem sort of glamorous and flash and it's yeah. a bit like something a bit rock and roll. They're a bit, a bit like doing a shot or something. You know, I really want to have that satisfaction that people, you know, like I've been with people eating them and just going, oh my God, this is great. And they're flinging them back. And I've tried one and like, and I don't like to be someone who spits food out because you feel like a child mm. and I should be beyond yeah. that. <laughs> But it's so, I'm just going, I can't, I want to like this so much, but it's not yeah. making it easy. And I was supposed to swallow something that big. And they're like, no, you just sort of give it a couple of little bites and let it slip down. I'm like, I can't, it's too big. What is this? It's mental. I don't understand that thing as well that, you know, you don't chew. You, cause I don't know what you do. They do a certain, like you say, they do a certain sort of sucking on it or something. But I've been with people as well where they've done the thing and it did look cool. And the guy, he just ordered one. He goes, oh, I think I'll get an oyster. And just had that, and, and then they're also they're meant to be full of nutrition, um, mm. but they're gaggy. And I would like to like mussels because I like, I love the look of them in the bowl. And like I say, it's usually a lovely garlicky sauce and they come with nice bread or chips, gorgeous. But it's even the thought of them. It's like all these tiny animals in my stomach afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Feels yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Also, though, if, if a food is best eaten when you just knock it back so fast you don't really taste it, is that, <laughs> is that cheating? I mean, like, so, so wait, if I chew up the oyster, it won't be nice. I mean, if I actually taste what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... that is exactly what they're saying, isn't it? Uh, as long as you don't realise how awful this is, this will be okay. Yeah. yeah, that's like how you get kids to take medicine. It's just like, hold your nose and swallow it as quickly as possible. You know, that's not what I want to yeah, pay we've for. Put this, uh, and it's the yeah, same thing, they're disguising it, aren't we? We've put your, your pill in some custard mm. and you won't know where it is. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, that's a good choice. And especially on the island where things are going to be a bit warm and 
Yeah, it's not great. And plus, you've got all those all those MPs who are just going to be just having a lovely time swallowing be... all the shellfish and, and telling you how lovely it is and how you're missing out all the time. I think they'll be good hunters. I think I'll get them out hunting mm. stuff. Yeah, maybe. Because they're, like, killing things. Well, I don't know. They'd probably like the death aspect, but they're probably more used to a shotgun. I don't know. The actual, like, roll up your sleeves and get foraging aspect. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. Corbyn would be good at foraging. Oh, he would. He'd come back with a load of leaves that you'd go, oh, God, is that all you've got? Wouldn't <laughs> he? But I can yeah. make marvellous things. Yeah. You'd see Boris Johnson trying to catch a oyster with a shotgun oh, somehow, yeah, yes, know, just yes, shooting an oyster yeah. yeah okay and what would you wash those down with um cocktails mm. now weirdly i do like cocktails like i love like an old-fashioned i love an old-fashioned mm-hmm. and i really like any gin-based cocktails i don't drink vodka um because i had a white out on that once but mm-hmm. but the thing about cocktails which i don't get is i think we drink them at the wrong time because they're so strong like martinis, mm. they're just alcohol. And people go, oh, it's six o'clock, we haven't had dinner. Would you like one of these? No. It's, no, <laughs> I can't. I haven't had any dinner. I've got an empty yeah. stomach. So I think we should have cocktails after dinner. Okay. When you've lined your stomach, lovely. And then when you go, oh, would you like to sip on an old-fashioned? Yes, I'd love one. Yeah, yeah. And I don't understand all the... Like in old films, they're always doing it, aren't they? Having being sophisticated and having cocktails before their dinner, fucking smashed. They must be absolutely drunk out of their mind. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? That that's. I mean, I suppose it does give you an appetite, but then so does sort of six pints, you know. So maybe that's the the thing, you know. But instead of having a kebab under a bridge somewhere, you, you actually have a nice meal or something. But don't have your dinner when you're not hungry. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, you know, do you know why I've got an appetite? Because it's my dinner time yeah. and I haven't just had my dinner. Yeah. That's a very good point. I, I might have said this before in this podcast, but I, one thing, because I really like cocktails as well, but there's certain, there's a jeopardy, isn't there? Like you can pay 10 quid for a cocktail or more, you know, most of the time, and it might just be shit. And then you've got, because the balance of it is so, you know, they're martini, I love them. And if they're well made, they're just sort of light and airy and delicious. Mm. But if they're badly made, they're the, just, you've got like neat booze that you have to choke down. And you've spent 12 quid on this drink and you just have to get your way... And you've been really looking forward to it and there's been all the theatrics about it and it gets to you and you can't sort of go do it again. Maybe you should say do it again, but it's just so annoying having to pay for something that's so unpleasant. Yeah, and it's 12 quid. And also, like you say, you're not going to order another one because then that's you've just sort of now got an awful lot of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, And I think there's also that thing sometimes if you go, no, I will have a cocktail. Maybe other people want to have cocktails. And then you're in a bar and they say they do cocktails. This happens, I think, particularly in this country. America, I love the fact that you, you can order a cocktail and a pint and they just always know how to make cocktails. Yeah. But I think quite often in Britain, they order a cocktail and then you go, oh, you've got like a ready-made thing. You're now going to add to the alcohol. That's not a no. cocktail. That's not... And it's still £12, so now I'm doubly annoyed. And when I drink it, I'll still be pissed. You know, they go, have cocktails at six. Well, on the island, I'll go, well, I'll be asleep by half past six. (laughs) Yeah, I think it spoils my drinking and I like to drink. Mm. So it's like, it's a dilemma for me always. Also, they're quite delicious, but you've got to be so Mm. careful with them because... If you have more than sort of two or three, then just dangerous things happen. So you have to be so grown up at the time when you're trying to let your hair down. Yeah. That you're kind of <laughs> trying to sort of police yourself with them going, oh, I really shouldn't. Oh, I don't know. 
Yeah, I think yeah. that's why they work. They do work for uh, people who drink a lot. You know, mm. you've got to really be a proper full-on person who drinks, all, you know, every day, all day to be able to cope with having cocktails. And that's why I think when I see the people having, you know, James Bond always having cocktails and then running around. And, but then I think when people were drinking lots of cocktails, you know, in the 50s and 60s, they were, you know, dead by the time they were 50. No wonder. Yeah. No wonder they were. Well, you know, Churchill, have you seen what he consumed in a day? It's insane. And he, you know, managed to help us defeat the Nazis. And it's like James Bond is from that sort of era. Yeah. Now it doesn't make so much sense when not everyone's pissed all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how Churchill managed to live so long. Or that sort of, you know, when you're watching Mad Men and you're going, oh, my God, how much whiskey have you had? It's 12 o'clock midday. Yeah. And then they're having a meeting. And, and you talk to older people and they go, oh, yeah, it did used to be like that. We used to drink every single lunchtime and go back to work. Yeah. And yeah. do work. And, like, people used to just drink neat gin. They'd just go to the yeah. pub and have a gin. Like, that was normal. <laughs> and I know there weren't as many mixers those, in those days. <laughs> but I mean, got tonic, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's so strange, isn't it? Yeah, pink gin, which was is gin and Angostura bitters. Yeah. So it's just gin. Yeah. Occasionally I sort of order a whiskey in a pub and then I always feel really awful afterwards because I see what an actual measure is. And when I think I'm giving myself a double at home, I realise I'm giving myself, like, several drinks <laughs> in one go. And I yeah, yeah. But, you know, so, yeah, I find them yeah, problematic for all sorts of reasons. So, yeah, good choice, good choice. Now, um, fortunately, Joe, you won't be without entertainment on the island. Mm. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time and the mm. other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Um, film is a hard one. I found this one quite hard because there's a lot of films... I just know right, they're not for me, so I, I wouldn't criticise them. You know, I've never seen any of the... Hobbit or whatever those things are, mm. that's not for me. And um, I have friends who, they love all those Marvel comic films. I'm not remotely interested. Yeah. I just wouldn't see them. I wouldn't ever say they were bad. But then occasionally I'll think, oh, I'll watch one of these um, women's films that are meant to be light-hearted and I should enjoy. And I watched um, is it Bride Wars. Right. It's Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway and they are the most awful human beings I've ever come across. And women are terrible people. <laughs> and they also seemed, they sort of acted like they were about eight years old, of what an eight-year-old thinks getting married and having a wedding is. Mm. And they compete and they do terrible things to each other because they're both getting married on the same day. And we, as women, were meant to find it funny rather than being in, really embarrassed for our whole sex. And I didn't find any of it funny, and I just thought they're really awful people. And Kate Hudson, nothing particularly. You know, you see her name on anything, just don't ever watch it. <laughs> she's, I mean, she's got what, such a knack. And I just think, what an amazing career, or what does she even think about her career, where you go, oh, you just continually do terrible films, but it's like you're a film star, but yeah. you're, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, as you said, it's sort of two friends planning rival weddings and slowly falling out and becoming more and more crazy about their weddings being perfect and and sort of competing against each other. And it's like, I just sort of feel like if you found yourself watching that film and identifying with it, that's the wake-up call, isn't it? That you need to do something or, or speak to someone that, you know, we can all get excited about a wedding, but if you sort of think... 
I'm this person now. Yeah. And it's it's this sort of normalisation, it's sort of saying, this is what women are like, right? You'll understand this. Like, you, we all we all feel like this about weddings, and it, it just seems mad. Yeah, we, we all feel like that our friend couldn't possibly have a better wedding than us, and we would do anything to stop them having a better wedding than us. Yeah. You know, what kind of executive meeting was that? And they all went, yeah, that's exactly what women are like. Yeah, they'll love it. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot of weddings, and, you know, some are more fun than others, but every mm. wedding is always perfect for the couple that has it because it's a reflection of, of them, so they're normally... Yes fit the people at least it might not be my idea of a good time but they're generally you know pretty spot on for for their likes and I, I got married a bit earlier than some of my friends and so I remember like friends going oh is it a real nightmare to plan it and I was like well anything big and logistical is a bit of a pain in the ass. but you know you love this person you'll broadly have the same tastes so you know you might not agree on everything but you'll broadly want to have a nice party together so that bit's not that bad but in films, it's or on telly, it's always like the men don't give a shit. The women no. have been planning it since they were three because they've never had anything <laughs> better to think about because that's yeah. all you people seem to care about for some reason in, in, in popular culture. Yeah. And you think, well, yeah, if you have a relationship where you're that apathetic and your wife is that mad, then, yeah, it probably will be quite a headache, you know. Yes, the men aren't involved in it at all, are they? Like you're saying, they're not really interested. It's all for the woman. Yeah. And, and like you said, and it's not about, oh, I love this person. What will our day be like? It's not, it's this spoilt brat and always the parents. It's always the parents paying. It never seems to be that she should ever pay for anything at all. Yeah. And also there's always endless money as well, like huge amounts of money in those sort of American films where they always seem to be getting married outside. It's always the same setup, isn't it? And the white yeah. chairs and that. And you go, I, I'm sure most people don't get married like that in America. Not everybody no. can be that rich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very bizarre. I mean, I have met people who I remember sort of speaking to a girl once and she was saying, oh, yeah, my wedding, it's going to be like this and this and this. And she's only about 19. You know, she hadn't met anyone to have the wedding yeah. with. And she knew exactly how it was going. And I thought, but you don't know who you're going to meet yet. I mean, <laughs> do you want them? I mean, surely you want them to have a look in. I mean, I know some people are kept on a fairly tight leash in a relationship. You know, you know it works both ways sometimes. But you kind of think, do you not want any input into your big day from the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with? Yeah, they're irrelevant. I mean, weirdly talking about it, I um, had a game, my neighbour's daughter, we, she's five, um, and we played a game today and she wanted to get married. She's a princess, um, so and I was to be her husband, so that was fine. So she got married and she, because she was the most beautiful princess... And it was just going, oh, God, it's all these same things, isn't it? You're a princess mm. and you're the most beautiful princess and you marry the prince. And then I really liked it. She'd go, the, the, we'd finish the wedding and then she went, and now I'm having my baby. And I was like, oh, it's such a busy day. Yeah. <laughs> had the wedding, meeting the prince, and that all in one day. But you think, that's all right, because you're five. You know, yeah. that's, you know, but this sort of grown women, just... And I, I think it was more also thinking about whoever made the film or... You know, somebody, there must have been some people at the side going, really, are we making this now in this century? Yeah. We're going to make this film and we think women will like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think things like that, like part of my job involves making adverts for commercial radio. And even in something as trivial as that, the amount of steps and layers of people and like steps you have to go through to get things signed off for an advert mm -hmm. that will run for a week 
is unbelievable. And when it's a whole film that costs hundreds yeah. of millions of pounds, you think, who's there's so many layers of people to sign this off. How did it happen? It's just didn't anyone not, just go, yeah. I think this is a crap idea. This is It's a really crap idea and all and that thing of also that they're not even it wasn't even high comedic like, oh they're so insane, it'll be funny. It's like no they're just normal women who, you know, the way women get there at a wedding, they get a bit mad. So we were meant to think they were normal and it was sort of okay, but they'd just gone a little, got a little bit carried away. Yeah, like you go with your girlfriends and you walked away again. No, but that one, that is so me, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and I'm the other one. <laughs> yes. I'm the other one, right? Because that's what I would, I would do. So, I would so go into the hairdressers if you were getting your hair dyed and then make it go blue. Oh, would you? Yes, I oh, would. Oh, man. Yeah. Bunch of psychopaths, and it does nobody yeah. any favours at all. <laughs> yeah. And I have a thing about Anne Hathaway's eyes. Her eyes, she's got those massive, like, cow eyes, so I have trouble looking at her anyway. They are quite bovine, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Yeah, not unattractive, you know, but I find I can't look at her. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. It sounds like an awful film to be stuck with. Um, <laughs> and what music would you listen to? Oh, God, it's so hard to pick... A particular song um, because it would be Queen. It would be anything by Queen. I, I, when if people say to me, you know, if you say what music you mean, and if they go, oh, I really love Queen, I wait for and what else? <laughs> because Queen isn't really music. What else do you like? <laughs> Queen is like pantomime rock. It's not real music. So what other music did you? If you'd only heard. If you'd heard Queen, like when you were younger and you liked them from that, but you must listen to other kinds of music. But that says to me, you've just found the most readily available music and gone, <laughs> oh, that's music. I'll just listen to that. Have you listened to, do you, have, do you listen to ska or reggae or dub or disco or any indie rock? What kind of other music? I, I like Queen. They've got some good songs. And go... I don't think they have. I think they're... And funnily enough, when I, I did watch the film Bohemian Rhapsody, and I thought that just reinforced that I was right. You know, that Freddie Mercury is a big, you know, panto entertainer, and there the band is really nice men, really nice, clever men who should have probably done something else. <laughs> you know, they may, you know, they can play their instruments, but there's no passion there's no it's it's just i find i find it sort of ridiculous music yeah i mean i i don't have much of an issue with queen like i actually quite like queen but i also completely understand why so many people feel the opposite way because it's like you said like you know you watch a band like led zeppelin and every member is just the perfect version of what they are you know perfect sexy mm. sleazy front man sort of like scary edgy guitar player just powerhouse of a Satanist. drummer you yes. know <laughs> yeah. but with queen it's like your bass player is an accountant he's wearing like yeah. really short shorts and like i'm not saying you have to have a real power stance but your legs are so close together it's like you're a young boy <laughs> queuing for milk at primary school you know and his bass is like halfway up his chest and like you kind of think and you've got one of the greatest front men of all time. I'm going to say that as a fan, mm. but, you know, uh, yeah, mm. I'm up for uh, debate. I get that he's a, a, an entertainer. But the people behind him, you yeah. know, like, isn't, like, Brian May is a physicist and he made his guitar out of a fireplace uh, or a mantelpiece yes. with his dad. And you're like, you, you're not supposed to be here. And you are talented, but it, it doesn't, you sort of shouldn't be. No, and I also, I really do hate those riffs, those kind of guitar riffs, because they sort of, it's like they're missing... 
There's never one where you go, oh, that's sort of like those guitarists that really get into you, that they're sort of dirty and sexy. And they're just not. They sound like I've, you've really worked on this, mm. like you say, and, you know, made the guitar from a fireplace or whatever. And um, and you've got all the notes and it's, it's clever, pro- probably. God, I couldn't play it. But it, it's pointless. Yeah. I, th- I think when I realised, I had a, sort of had a bit of an epiphany with Queen where I thought... I used to sort of think, oh, how can people not like it? It's fun and theatrical and camp and silly. But it's sort of, even though I like them, if I hear anyone but Freddie Mercury singing their songs, I think it's the worst music I've ever heard. And that's quite telling, isn't it? That says you know, a lot, like, isn't it? Anyone except for him singing yes. it is awful. And and they and then they really sort of got a, the the one front man you're not going to be able to replace. And then they try they replaced him with this other guy. And it's just, yeah, it just sounds like bad musicals. You know, there's that musical style of singing. Oh, yeah, and I think, but I think that, because I think that's what their music is. Their music is, you know, all those sort of West End shows where they just get loads of pop records and put them together and it's a show. Their music already is that, mm. you know. So it, it, it's, to me, to me, it's just not real. Rock. It's like watching, you know, uh, what's that musical, Rocky, Rocky Horror Show. It's, it's kind of that um and and as and and dated as dated as that and also cuz sort of people who like it and think it's fun and they get all get to do the clapping and or people go oh, do you know what i'm going to have at my funeral another one bites the dust and it's always like the most like cliched awful oh god and barcelona what a terrible <laughs> song terrible Although, um, talking of Queen covers, um, Sean Ryder and I think Russell Watson did a cover of that. And that's worth looking up if you're looking for bad oh, covers. Sean Ryder? Yeah, wow. and he's just like, so you've got, the, is it Russell Watson, the opera singer? Is he sort of opera? Yeah, yeah. he's the so opera he's doing singer, the, sort yeah. of the, the operatic bit. But then you've got Sean Ryder just going, Barcelona! <laughs> and, that's not right, funny. <laughs> it's really, and yeah, it's very strange. And, and what was the, oh, that I want to break free? The, oh, oh, there's so many that I hate and that I'm having a good time. Because people think of it as good time music and I think of it as... To, it's like if someone said, um, I like lager, and I go, oh, I like lager, what lager do you drink? They go, well, I've got Foster's. Have you had other lagers? No. <laughs> they seem to like be very, you know, they might like the Beatles. They might go, oh, I've had Heineken. Mm. It seems to me people, you, they have very, they, they, their music taste would be, because I just think once you hear other things apart from Queen, then you'd never listen to Queen again. Well, yeah, I mean, I think... It- even though I like their sound, the modern equivalent of them is Muse, and I can't stand them. And you know, <laughs> and so that's yeah. again, it's quite telling. And I think it's probably just because I grew up with it. You know, it's sort of mm. music. I think my brother liked them a lot when I was really young in my sort of yeah. early years. And and yeah, when I first started working at a commercial radio station, I loved them. And now, twelve years later, I really understand more and more why people don't like them. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's a fair choice. Fair choice. Um, Now, Joe, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Squirrels. Okay, squirrels. And I have a long-running battle with squirrels where I live, so I would worry about having them on the island because if you've made any kind of structure, uh, they will come in and they will gnaw away at it. I have uh, old wooden windows and they have eaten the window sills, and they've also they sharpen their teeth on the sandstone. Oh so now I know I've got to have 
pointing down. They're unbelievable. Wow. And then, um, then, so then you read all the things, or what can you do to get rid of squirrels? And, they, and somebody said, oh, they don't like mustard or chilli. I thought, well, that sounds good. So I put mustard and chilli all over the windowsill. And then they're just sitting there like, oh, flavour, lovely. <laughs> like just nom, 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 delicious. They didn't do any good at all. They're really bold. Like they're not frightened of you at all. And also if you're growing anything, they uh, pick whatever they're picking up, nuts and stuff, they then bury them. Mm. And so then they go and dig them up and bury them and dig them up and bury them all over your garden and will dig up your bulbs and do that. So I feel there would be a great danger to what any kind of structure you've got and anything you're growing. And I think you're not allowed to shoot them with an air rifle. Somebody told me I couldn't do that. So um, y- y- there's nothing you can do about them. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I, there's um, In my local park, it's just teeming with them. And I used to sort of think they were maybe quite clever animals because they seem sort of, you know, quite... Not the intelligence and dexterity is related. Yeah, yeah, they kind Mm. of look like they know what they're doing. But then Mm. as I go into my local park, there's a tree and the lowest branch is about 20 feet tall. And I was walking in there with my son and I just heard this splat on the ground and a squirrel had fell out of the tree. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, I saw a squirrel fall out of a fucking tree. It's unbelievable. It hit the ground so hard because they must weigh like, I don't know, almost a kilo or something. I don't know. It's it's quite a a, a splat. And she went, what, that tree when you go in the pot? I've seen a squirrel fall out of that tree. Oh, how fantastic. Oh, this is music to my ears. And that's like your main thing. You're like, you know, on your top trump card. Of course that's your thing. Squirrel, special moves tree climbing ability but we've both seen on separate occasions squirrels fall out of a tree and it doesn't look like a tricky difficult flimsy tree it's like a big solid tree so i think they're just fucking idiots and they can't bounce like a cat would find a way to land wouldn't it if a cat did that so maybe that is the thing they can they can scamper up and down can't they and they can walk along really narrow ledges and things but they can't land yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looked really shocked and I felt bad for it because my son instantly just ran over to it and, oh, well, squirrels. It didn't even get a chance to compose itself or ever to run off again. Oh, it wasn't dead? No, no, it <sighs> survived. It was, but I mean, it looks like, whoa, fucking hell. I was enjoying Jesus, was that story so much. <laughs> oh, no, I thought they were dead. Oh, damn. Oh, so they did survive. Yeah. Well, that's a good choice. And also, they're going to be nicking your food. Yeah. They're kind of crafty enough that they'll they'll steal all your, your lovely sweet seafood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think, I mean, they're quite verminous, aren't they? So it's like, I, I imagine... They're, they're ratty. They're, you know, pro- they'll, they'll be having yeah. lots of disease. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want them around. Well, I think that's a no. very good final addition to your island, and it's a, a very inhospitable place, as it's is the, hor- the purpose of this place. podcast. It's awful. God. That just means that you've done a very good job if you've disgusted <laughs> even yourself. That means you've fulfilled the brief very well. So uh, I congratulate you. Um, now, Joe, obviously things are still, despite when we record this lockdown being eased, apparently things are still all over the place. And where can we see or hear more from you? Um, I'm uh, Twittering. Um, uh, so I'm on Joe underscore Caulfield on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and occasionally put up little videos, um, which I've only done in lockdown where you go, oh, I better make something funny and put it up so you can see me there. And um, and there are now gigs, which is really lovely. There are sort of Zoom mm. gigs. So I may be out and about in my kitchen doing gigs 
Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your Desert Island Dicks with us today. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.